Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Joel Klatt Show, it is finally here. We break down the college football playoff semifinal games live from San Diego. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. Believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was just one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is the Joel Klatt Show, and we are live from San Diego. So got the bowl game tonight, holiday bowl game tonight, and we need to break down these college football playoff games. This show, as always, is presented by Hampton by Hilton. And remember to follow the show wherever you're at on social media, at Joel Klatt Show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast. Make sure to like, review us, uh, do all of those different things. And then also subscribe on the YouTube channel, at Joel Klatt Show on YouTube. That's where you get all of our content during the course of the year. And uh, as we finish up the season, just a reminder, like I'm going to be covering the draft. I'll be back on the NFL network for the draft on the first round and, and well, the first night and the second night there on the main desk. So I'll be breaking down all things NFL draft as we get closer to that. So make sure to be around here, the Joel Klatt show as we get finished up with the college football season. I'm I'm rubbing my hands together. If you're watching. And the reason is that I cannot wait for this college football playoff. Looking back through the history of this playoff, I think that this is as good of a, of a complete playoff as we've ever had. I have said this before. I will say it again. I legitimately believe that any one of these four teams can win the national championship. And, and I don't believe that there's been a playoff like that since its inception. Um, I know that the four seed has won Ohio State, namely in that first season they got in, they ended up winning the national championship. Maybe maybe that one, but, but if you remember back to 2014, that year, none of us really thought that Florida State was going to be a threat, even though they were undefeated. That Jameis Winston team was not um, a, a team as dominant as what they were the year prior when they won the national championship. And then Marcus Mariota and that Oregon team promptly dispatched them in, in that uh, semifinal before going on and playing Ohio state in the national championship game. A couple of other things uh, for, for this year's um, event, this year's semifinal is that you've got what has now turned out to be some, some experienced quarterbacks. And I know that Jalen Milrow hasn't played a ton of football, but you've got guys that have been in their programs or on the field for a long time in the sport. And so 
that makes it intriguing because as you know, in the top end in these games, it really comes down to quarterback play. You know, there's going to be a mistake. There's going to be a blown call along the way. That's just now what happens in big football games, whether it's the NFL level or the college football level, we get into this situation. There's going to be some controversy. So buckle up because that's going to happen. And certainly it happened a year ago in both of the games um, in that Ohio state, Georgia game, as well as the Michigan TCU game. Let's start in the Rose bowl. It's a game that, as as you know, I'm fond of wearing my Rose Bowl hat. I will be at. It's the only game of the year, football game, that I actually get to take my boys to and, and watch. And so I am so excited for this game every year, but now more than ever because it's a playoff game and you've got what has turned out to be like, is there a better? matchup that we've had in the college football playoff in its history than than Michigan Bama oh this is going to be so good uh the over under on this game is a little bit lower both of these teams playing a style of football that limits the possessions you know Alabama kind of leaning into what they are this year the over under is 44 and a half so Vegas certainly expecting something a little bit lower Michigan is still favored by one and a half which I do find interesting I thought that that line would actually move towards Bama Um, it's fluctuated a little bit but it's landing right there where Michigan is going to be the favorite by a point and a half Um, and certainly a game that we all expect to be a little bit more lower scoring than than the the nightcap between Washington and Texas. And I'll break down that game here in a little bit. So you've got Nick Saban against Jim Harbaugh, the whole storyline. And now there's, I mean, Jim Harbaugh, for a guy that, trust me now, having met with him, gosh, for, for years now, which is wild. I did his very first game at Michigan. It was at Utah. It was his very first game. Jake Rudock, I believe, was his quarterback back then. And, and like, there was hype surrounding him coming back to Michigan. I remember talking with Colin Coward before that game, and I said, I think Michigan can be a top-10 team in his first season. And he thought I was crazy. And, and, like, you look at what Jim has done, and now there's certainly a pre-COVID Harbaugh, and then there's a post-COVID Harbaugh. And, and the record is is pretty clear on that. But this guy, even though he doesn't try to, he is a headline machine. Everything that he does is talked about. It's scrutinized. Everybody wants to scrutinize the way he coaches his team. What is his future going to look like? What does his contract look like? And so here we are again, again, in a season in which he's actually been on the field for a little over half of their games. They've played 13 games. Here he is. He's been on the field for seven of them because of suspensions. We had the recruiting, quote-unquote, violations, the self-imposed suspension early in the year. We had the sign-sealing saga late in the season in which it was another three-game suspension. And now, all of a sudden, more headlines generated before this game. There is reports that Jim Harbaugh has on the table a $125 million extension for 10 years at Michigan. Now, what I find interesting is that that was dropped or leaked or reported through NFL sources. So, you know, you could make the argument that that was a ploy from Harbaugh's side 
you know, to leak it to, to NFL sources to ba- basically ready the NFL suitors that are su- surely going to come after Jim Harbaugh because he was successful at every level he's ever been at. He was successful in the National Football League. He's been successful now in college. And he's going to be the number one candidate on any NFL uh, coaching search. He just he just is. He's too successful not to be. So now that's looming over this game. He's going to be in L.A. to play the Rose Bowl against Alabama. And everyone's going to be thinking about the Chargers. Is he going to be the Chargers' next head coach? Why hasn't he signed the extension with Michigan if it's $125 million? Can he get $20 million if he goes to the National Football League? So it doesn't matter if it's a a sign-stealing saga or if his contract status. Jim Harbaugh just always is the story, even though, and trust me when I tell you this, there is no part of Jim Harbaugh that wants to be the story. No part. He despises it. You know, he views himself as just like an an old school ball coach. And in a lot of ways, that's what he is. And that's what he's built at Michigan. And now he's going up against Nick Saban. And here's Nick Saban, who is arguably, and, and certainly in my estimation, is the greatest college football coach in the history of our sport. He's been he's built something that I don't believe can can be replicated ever again. He's nine and four in the playoff in his career. Harbaugh is 0-2, by the way. Saban, ever since he won that first national championship game over Texas, he has been a juggernaut. This team just constantly churns out 11, 12, 13 win seasons, national championships. It doesn't matter what they've got on their team. It can be an old-school team with a prototypical passer. They win. It can be a defensive-led team. They win. It can be a run-oriented team. They win. A passing-oriented team. They win. And now his maybe most unique season that we've seen in which we didn't know who was going to be the quarterback. There was questions all spring about who the quarterback was going to be. They go out and get a transfer after spring football for a first year coordinator at Bama, Tommy Reese. And it's still a disaster early in the season. Milrow doesn't play well. They go to South Florida. They play the other two kids. I think that that's Nick Saban basically telling his fan base, get off of Jalen Milrow's back. We're going to move forward with him. So, like, his season has been, in a lot of ways, as unique as any season at at Alabama in his tenure. And yet, here they are in the college football playoff and, and in a lot of ways, coming in, playing their best ball. That's the next place I want to land on this is is the feeling that we have with these two teams. Even before we talk about matchup, just think about what we think about these teams, the way that we feel about these teams based on the time of year that we're analyzing this game. And and I just would pose this, this question to you. If you were thinking about this matchup at any point until now, wouldn't you be obviously favoring Michigan and that's why Vegas is doing that? At any point, if we said after after Thanksgiving, if we said, hey, Michigan that just beat Ohio State is going to play Alabama, which just struggled against Auburn, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, Michigan's definitely the better team. If we go back to the, the version of Michigan that beat Penn State on the road, ran it 32 times and just choked the life out of the Nittany Lions versus the team Alabama that, that could not deal with the line of scrimmage against Texas. Well, yeah, Michigan's the better team. So all all year, that was kind of the vein which we viewed these teams. And yet, here we are at the end. And now what's the last game that we viewed? We viewed Alabama against Georgia, beating Georgia, ending the the long, what is it, 29-game win streak 
for Georgia and the two-time defending national champions. And you've got a Michigan team that beat an underwhelming and a lot of times made fun of Iowa team in unimpressive fashion in which they didn't run the ball well. So here we are where Bama is a team that all of us are thinking like, well, they probably should win this game. They probably should win this game if they play the way that they did against Georgia. And they were terrific. They were terrific against the run on defense. Milrow played really well. They have clearly turned right into what are they good at? What is their identity? I think that their offensive line, which was not great early in the year, has gotten better and better and better. They are, I would say, much more physical up front. They do a better job of protecting the passer, and that's not just their development as players up front, but it's also the schemes with which that they run. So this Bama team has developed into this version of what we see. Meanwhile, this Michigan team has been totally dominant for, for big, big swaths of the year. Then they get their All-American guard injured, Zach Zenter. They go out and play against Iowa with a, kind of a makeshift offensive line. Don't run it well. Under two yards per carry, 66 yards running the football. And now it's like, whoa, well, if you can't run the ball, are you really going to go beat Alabama unless you're at your best? That's the question. And I think that's why a lot of Tide fans are thinking to themselves like, oh, yeah, this is a foregone conclusion that Alabama is going to go win this, this college football semifinal. So it's it's the underwhelming Michigan against Iowa, against this Bama team that ended the Georgia run. And, and I think that in that vein, this feels like a Bama win. However, However, let's just then peel it back a little bit. What is Michigan really? Well, Michigan is a team that is as sound, deep, and consistent across every area of their team as any in the country. So they get quality quarterback play. They've been able to run the ball, though they didn't against Iowa, but they've been able to run the ball consistently. They've thrown the ball better this year than they have in previous seasons. The defense, I would say, as a whole, is as good as they've had in the last few years. They're not just great at one thing, like pass rusher in 2021, or in, in the ability to stop the run in 2022. It's their consistency across all levels. They've got good cover players. They've got quality linebackers. They've got, I think, the best defensive line in the country, in particular when you're talking about the depth that they have in the interior. They've got an all-American caliber corner on the outside, Will Johnson. They've got an all-American caliber nickel cover man and Nick Sainra still. So this is the best special teams in the country. Michigan is, is legit. They are legit. This is the best version that Jim Harbaugh has had. They've been able to create pressure with that defense, and it's going to be a very difficult task for Alabama. So that is still true. This is not just an, a foregone conclusion that Alabama is going to roll out there and, and go and beat this team. Because as we've seen during the course of the year, Bama is not your typical Bama team. They've had to develop into what they are this year. And, and I think that that makes for an incredible matchup in this game. As I said previous, and this is where I think the, the matchup is going to start. Alabama's going to have to do a great job against that Michigan run game because the Michigan run game really is the first domino in the recipe to success for the Wolverines. Now, if you look at what they did against Georgia, they only gave up 78 rushing yards against Georgia. They were outstanding. However, the week prior, Auburn burned them for 250 yards on the ground. 
Now, I know that those are totally different schemes, and I think that Michigan is going to be more in line with what Georgia did from a schematics perspective than what Auburn did, but there is that question. You've got that question. Texas owned them at the line of scrimmage. There have been teams that have been able to run the football against this Bama defense. So which Bama defense kind of shows up? Now, you'd expect after a month off that Saban's going to have them ready to go up front, and they're going to have them schemed up. Because there are some things in Michigan's scheme that will lead you to the ball. They love to run it to the extra tight ends. They love to create the extra gaps. I've talked about it for a long time on this show. They do as good a job of any of providing pressure on the defense with their run game by, by putting extra hats and, and creating extra gaps at the point of attack. You've got to flood defenders that direction, which is why I think J.J. McCarthy is going to need to be a big factor uh, in this one, and in particular, maybe with his legs. That's going to be a huge matchup. And if if Michigan can run the football, then McCarthy is going to be able to throw it really well. If they can't, it could be it could be difficult. It could be difficult for them because they're not great in pass protection. We saw that against Iowa, and we saw that in 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 spots against Penn State. So against Iowa, they couldn't run it. And then they took four sacks because the pass protection was not great. Against Penn State, they tried to throw it early. It was very clear, abundantly clear, that they were not going to be able to handle the rush of the Penn State Nittany Lions. And what they do? Abandon ship. They went to 32 straight runs to close out that game. Didn't throw a pass in the second half, at least officially. So that's a thing. you got to block Dallas Turner on one side of the ball. So, so Alabama's ability to stop the run, they've got to commit all the resources. If I was Alabama, I would say, hey, listen, if J.J. McCarthy makes some plays, more power to him. But we can't let them get the run game going. Commit the resources to stop the run. Take that away from Michigan, and then you can start getting after the quarterback. And I think that's going to be uh, the way that they're going to want to go. Michigan's offensive line, you know, without Zinter, they're going to have to play a lot better than they did uh, against the the Iowa uh, Hawkeyes. 34 carries in that one, only 66 yards, under two yards per carry. By far one of their worst performances running the football in the last three years. And it's a three years that have been totally dominant outside of the playoff. By the way, Michigan's 0-2 in the playoff in the last couple of years. They're 38-1 in all other games. Their one loss was that road loss to Michigan State, a game that Gus and I called. That was a great game. That's the game that got Mel Tucker his contract extension, if you remember. Um, now we go to the other side of the ball. Okay, so now what happens when Alabama's on the field offensively and Michigan is on the field defensively? Well, for me, it starts and stops with Michigan's defensive line and their ability to keep Jalen Milrow in the pocket. If they can force him to play this game from the pocket against those quality cover players that I was talking about earlier, namely Will Johnson and Nick Sainersdale, now they've got something. Now, I think that you can turn the ball over. You can create an interception or two. That's what Texas was able to do. And remember, that's in there. What you don't want allow, what you don't want Alabama to, to be able to do, or Milrow specifically, is to do what he did against LSU. And in that game, he was out and he was running and he was creating. And in, and in that game, he caused so many problems for the LSU defense, whether it was designed runs or his ability to scramble. And, and and that's where the game really lies. That front four for Michigan has got to keep him hemmed up. That doesn't mean he doesn't make quality plays from the pocket. You know, he made some nice throws in the SEC championship game. The fourth down against Auburn, that was from the pocket when Auburn was rushing two and they had a spy. <laughs> I still can't get over the fact that they had a spy, but I digress. 
keeping him in the pocket, trying to force him, flush him in the direction that you want him to go, I think is important. And that's what that uh, that defensive line is going to do. Jalen Milrow is is a guy that he's not going to He's not going to kill you with his efficiency in terms of completion percentage, but he does create big plays. And I think that's because of the the conflict that the defense is in because of the the ability of Milrow to run. And so how they deal with that, how Michigan deals with that, I think is going to be all you want. Okay. And now we come to just the, the, the final thought of this game. The final thought of this game is the fact that Nick Saban and Alabama don't have to go on the road in an, in an iron bowl environment. This is not during the season where they have one week to prepare. They've got a month and they can sit there and prepare for this Michigan team. And I just don't believe that you're going to get the bad version of Alabama. That's my number one takeaway. When he has this amount of time, you expect them to play well. You just do. And that means every area they'll be prepared to stop the run game. They will have a plan for Milro to be successful, whether that's in design runs or in the passing game. Okay, they will have scouted and understand the structure of the Michigan run game. All of those things lead me to believe that Alabama will play well. So then you look at Michigan. Can Michigan handle Alabama if Alabama is playing well? Not the bad version of Alabama, but a quality version of Alabama. Maybe not up to the, the standard of beating Georgia, but close to it. And that's where I start to, to have some concerns for Michigan, and namely because of the offensive line. I don't know if the offensive line can handle the front seven for Alabama. If they can't run the ball, then they're going to be exposed to the pass rushers, namely Dallas Turner. That's a matchup that I would favor the Tide, absolutely favor the Tide. This is a game in which J.J. McCarthy is going to have to play his best game of the season. Now, he should be healthy. Remember, he was a little bit banged up at the end of the year. He should be healthy. But he's going to have to be a total difference maker for them, whether it's him using his legs in the run game or getting outside of the pocket and creating. Colston Loveland is going to have to be a dynamic threat for them in what I would categorize as their biggest mismatch on the field. Roman Wilson's going to have to create space. A.J. Barner is going to have to play well. Their backs are going to have to play well. Like They're going to have to make up for some inefficiencies on the offensive line because they don't have Zach Zenter. And then the defensive side, you know, for Michigan, I expect them to play well. That's why it's going to be a low-scoring game. If I have to make a pick, and I know that I do, I, 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 I might be jaded by the fact that I covered Michigan so closely down the stretch, did the game against Iowa, saw what that was like, know how important Zach Zinter is. But the fact that Zinter's not in the game, Michigan played so poorly running the football on the offensive line against Iowa, and I fully expect this to be a good version, not a bad version of Alabama. I'm going to go with Alabama. I think that they win a, an amazing game, maybe by a field goal, maybe late. I'm fully expecting this to be an incredible game, but I've got Alabama beating Michigan in the first semifinal in the Rose Bowl. This is my favorite time of year. It's playoff time. And as you know, I take it seriously. So when I'm traveling on the road to watch my favorite teams, I can't risk calling the wrong play with where I stay, wherever I go. I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms and their warm and friendly service. Plus, their free hot breakfast is a total game changer for me. I need it in the morning. Had breakfast earlier today. Free hot waffle, fluffy coffee, loving it. So whether you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you 
that win. And that leads us to the nightcap. Here we go. Sugar Bowl, the second of the semifinals, Washington and Texas. This is going to be a much different game than the first one, Michigan and Alabama. It's going to be a much more high-scoring game. This overall, 63.5. Again, that first one, 44.5. Texas is favored by four, and I get it. I think that Texas has a lot of areas of this team that I think are better than Washington. Here's the problem. Washington has the number one passing offense in the country. And and to be fair, it's not just like, you know, we've seen great passing offenses that just like create big plays. This is a dynamic passing offense. It's, it's, it's a drop back passing offense. This is not born out of play action. This is not born out of tricks. This is a straight drop back style win with space. Great passing game. Win with leverage. Great players on the outside. Roma Dunze is an incredible player. I think second only in college football to Marvin Harrison Jr. I covered Marvin a lot. I think Rome is, I don't know if he's quite as good just because he's not quite as polished of a route runner, but boy, he checks off just about every single box. They've also got Jalen McMillan. He's back and healthy. You saw what a difference he made in that Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. This is a team that has had to deal with Oregon twice and deal with that Oregon physicality twice. And so all this talk about, well, Washington is a finesse team and they won't be able to handle the physical nature that Texas brings to the table at the line of scrimmage. I, I don't agree with that because of what Washington did against Oregon. So they've got the passing game. And now what you saw in some of those games, even against Oregon, is their ability to run the ball and control the clock. You know, they held the ball in the first quarter of the Pac-12 championship game for 13 minutes. 13 minutes. Oregon ran six offensive plays in that first quarter. That's wild. That is wild. And, and if they can do that again, they'll win the game. Oregon had to play from behind in that game and, and could just not do it. Number one pass offense in the country, facing the biggest weakness that Texas has, which is their pass defense, their secondary. Without question, that's the biggest weakness on the entire Texas team. Now they're going to have to face the 95th ranked passing defense in the country is going to have to face Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze, and Jalen Polk. Polk's had 600-yard games. Adunze has gone for 104 straight with six touchdowns in those four, and, and McMillan when healthy, looks like he could be a dominant player. He went nine for 131 in that Pac-12 championship game. Someone's going to be open. Washington's going to score points. There's not a doubt in my mind. I do not believe, even with Tavondre Sweat and that excellent run defense that Texas has, I just don't see a scenario in which Washington doesn't score a lot of points. I think that they get into the low 30s, maybe mid-30s in this game. And, and then it's going to be up to Texas and, and that offense. And now you look at this offense, and that's the other aspect of this game that I just think is a total, not even a wild card. I'm just excited to watch it. To watch Steve Sarkeesian with a month and that offense, I, I think it could be special. I really do. Because when this guy gets in a rhythm, it's unlike anything else. You know, there's a few play callers out there. And by the way, Kalen DeBoer is one of those. I mean, these guys, I don't want to leave Kalen DeBoer out, but Sarkeesian has this knack. Like when he gets it going, I think back to the game I called when they played against Alabama. Do you guys remember that first quarter? Do you remember how aggressive it was? 
You know, I remember, you know, even the first quarter against Alabama this year in a win. The last couple of games against Texas Tech uh, late in the season this year against Oklahoma State, man, when this guy wants to put the pedal down, it's special, okay? And he has built something there that a lot of people, let's be honest, thought might never happen again at Texas. We always knew Texas should be better. You know, it's always a question of, well, are they going to be back? Are they going to be back? Well, they're definitely back. This is a terrific team. And Sark is, is in a position where he can build a game plan to go out there and really attack early what is the weakness for Washington, which is their defense. Their defense is 93rd in total defense. They allow about 400 yards per game, and they're facing an offense that can that can absolutely go up and down the field. So there's no reason why Texas can't score in the low 30s or mid 30s. Now you're starting to see why that over under is 63 and a half. Would it shock anybody if you got a 38, 35 game? Heck, you know, 42, 35, 42, you know, 30. This this screams points. It just screams points. And and Texas's ability to attack with that passing game is going to be key, which is why. I think, and and I haven't gone back and looked at what they've done with the coin toss, if they've won the coin toss or not, but I believe that each of these coaches should take the ball. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to put your offense on the field? Each offense is terrific. Each quarterback is terrific. I look at Michael Penix and, and the year that he's had and the leverage with which he throws, and I am amazed in a lot of ways every time I get to watch him. I look at the the way that that Washington was able to run the ball against Oregon and keep Oregon off the field and, and keep Bo Nix on the sideline. Texas can't allow that to happen. You can't allow that to happen. You don't want to play from behind. So take the ball. I think both of these teams should put their offenses on the field the first chance that they possibly get. Big question for me will be how Texas is is performing in the backs, backfield. Obviously, Jonathan Brooks, that injury hurts Texas. Although, C.J. Baxter, the youngster, Jaden Blue, they have picked up the slack since Brooks went down with that injury. There were three games left when he went down. Texas has run for 500 yards on the ground over the last two games. So their production is there. Now, what Brooks gave them is the versatility to be really dynamic in the passing game. It's not that those other guys can't do that, but we just haven't seen it to the extent that Brooks was able um, to give that element to that offense. I think Texas is going to play really well, but I think Washington is going to play really well. Uh, and in particular, the fact that they have been able to handle the physicality of Oregon. There's no doubt Texas is better at the line of scrimmage. Now, can Texas get to Michael Penix? I kind of have my doubts, to be honest with you. Texas's best quality on their defense is their ability to stop the run. And Washington, candidly, even though they ran the ball well against Oregon, if you take away their ability to run, they're going to be like, okay, well, we're going to throw it 50 times. And we can do that really well. And we can still protect the passer. This is not a team that exposes Pennix to a lot of hits. They're one of the best pass protection teams in the country. And so Texas's ability to present some pressure on Penix and disrupt that passing game at all is paramount. Because if he stands back in the pocket with those three wide receivers against that secondary, Washington's going to win the game. All right? And I know Texas is favored by four, but that's where I sit. I just don't believe that Texas is going to present the pressure necessary to slow down the offense. There's nothing in me that believes that Washington – 
will get stopped trying to throw the football. This passing game is as good as I've seen in a long time. And I think Penix and Washington are going to beat Texas. Now, this is going to be high scoring. It's going to be a great game. What you generally see is Sark's teams start really hot and fast. And then what happens is that there's a lull in the game. And they can't have that against Washington because Washington remains very consistent. There's only one game this year that they really didn't play well offensively, and that was against Arizona State. But outside of that, we see a game with time now, with Penix out there, with those wide receivers out there, with their ability to protect the passer. There's just nothing about the Texas secondary that that tells me that they're going to be able to stop that passing game of the Huskies. So in the Rose Bowl, I like... Alabama in a great game and a close game, maybe low scoring. In the nightcap, I like Washington over Texas. I'm taking both underdogs in the college football playoff semifinals. I like those two teams. And honestly, I despise both of those picks the moment I made them, which is what makes this playoff so great. I don't think that there is an obvious pick in, in either of these games. That's where I'm going to land. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay, so I will be back to break down um, the, the the national championship, obviously. You can come back and we'll get thoughts on, on these games uh, after they finish up. So we'll have uh, all of your information and we'll take you through the end of the regular season here on the Joel Klatt Show. Hey, one more request. Make sure you're sharing this show with a friend. Tell a friend about it. Tell them to come and join us here. Uh, we're going to have a lot of great off-season content, a lot of great uh, draft content. We will do our Big Noon Conversation series again, which is going to be awesome. We're going to have a couple of the same faces join me and a bunch of new ones across college football and maybe all the sports. We'll see. Uh, so we're finalizing that lineup as we speak. Uh, very much appreciate all of you for being a part of this regular season so far. Make sure to invite a friend, tell a friend about the show, and bring them in here um, as we move along towards the end of the season. Follow us at Joel Klatt Show on social media. Make sure to follow the pod wherever you're listening. Subscribe on YouTube. And we'll be back after these games, and we'll recap, and we'll get you ready for the national championship. Have a great day, everybody.